Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Okay, one more. There we go. All right. I want to explain this picture here. So this is actually in the garden tomb in Israel. Uh, My niece uh, sent this to me, and uh, this is us pointing to the fact that he is not here, for he is risen. That's what it says on the door. And so I want you to celebrate Easter. Amen. I know it's an odd situation. It's very odd to preach to just a, a tech team here as well. And I'm sure it's odd to not be in church on Easter. I really miss uh, people dressing up and getting ready for Easter and bringing their children. That's something that we really do miss. But uh, hopefully we'll be back to it very, very soon. But I do want to preach an encouraging message here today. I want to minister a sermon I've entitled Easter the day that death died. And by the time we're done with this sermon, hopefully you'll understand the meaning of what that, uh, what that, the meaning of that. So we're going to go ahead and start, if we can, today uh, in Matthew chapter four, uh, Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 50, if you have your Bibles. Let's go ahead and read. The Bible says, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over uh, the land. Uh, Let me read it from a different uh, version, actually. Let me read it from uh, the Message Bible. It says, From noon to three, the whole earth was dark. Around the mid-afternoon, Jesus groaned out of the depths loudly, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some bystanders who heard him said, He's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and got a a sponge soaked in sour wine and lifted it on a stick so that he could drink. The others joked, don't be in such a hurry. Let's see if Elijah comes and saves him. But Jesus again, crying out loudly, breathed his last. At that moment, the temple curtain was ripped in two, top to bottom. There was an earthquake and rocks were split in pieces. What's more, tombs were opened and many bodies and of believers asleep in their graves were raised. After Jesus' resurrection, they left the tombs, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. That was a miracle. Verse uh, uh, further down, the Bible says, The captain of the guard and those with him, when they saw the earthquake and everything else that was happening, were scared to death. They said, this has to be the Son of God. I want to talk to you for a few moments about this portion of Scripture. Very familiar portion of Scripture. Many of you are familiar with it, and I, but I want to uh, go over it with you. This is not the only death by crucifixion by any stretch of the imagination. One death in history stopped death, but this was not the first nor the last Uh, Not because it was the most painful death is this one of the most astounding deaths throughout history. Not because it was the only death for a cause even was this uh, death so significant. No, but it was because it was the death of death. And again, I'm hoping that you will understand that by the time that we are done with this sermon. I'm reading a small book here called The Case for Easter. This is a man named Lee Strobel who wrote another book called The Case for Christ. He also did one called The Case for Christmas. This is one that I'm reading right now. It's called The Case for Easter. 
and it talks about how this man actually got saved was because of Easter. He began to study. It was a uh, uh, Chicago uh, Tribune uh, writer, and he began to study whether the resurrection actually happened or not. And he came, and as he did his research and he found all of the uh, proofs that that was the case, he realized that he had to give his life to Jesus Christ. So it was literally Easter that got him saved, for lack of a better uh, way to explain that. So let's talk about this specific death for a few moments. It was not the only crucifixion. They were common in those days. His suffering was not unique or longer than others. Even the thieves that were along him suffered longer than he did on the cross. But the reason why it was so significant was because it was the day that death died. I want to talk to you first of all this morning about the fact that our appointment with death is imminent. Death is a fact and not a concept that is used to scare people to our viewpoint. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 in the Message Bible says, And as it is appointed for man to die once, but after this the judgment. Many people say, well, you're using scare tactics. I'm not trying to scare anybody. Death is a fact. In fact, there's a little saying that there are two uh, sure things in life. Death and taxes. Okay, It's part of the regular American vernacular that that is a fact. You're going to die. And we're simply trying to get you ready for that day and that appointment. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 2 says, There is a time to be born and a time to die. Every one of us has an appointment with death. It's not like a dentist or doctor's appointment that you can cancel. Amen. This is an absolute appointment that you will keep at some point. Amen. And so that is, a, is, is one sense is sad news, but and by the end of the sermon, you're going to know that this is good news because we're going to know exactly where we are going. Why death, you ask? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked it. Amen. Why do people die? Well, the Bible gives a perfect description of exactly how death came into the world. God said to Adam and Eve in Genesis 2.17, In the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. The Message Bible puts it this way. But of the three of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So it is not uh, God's fault, it is man's fault that we have death in the world today. Uh, when we were kids, we knew that disobedience meant punishment. Adam and Eve's disobedience meant much more than that. And we now have death in the world. We have sickness in the world that causes death because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Amen. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says it in the King James. It says, wherefore, as no man, uh, as as." Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed unto all men. There it is. To all men, for that all have sinned. The Message Bible puts it this way. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma that we are in. That's exactly the situation. So don't blame this on God. Amen. Death is a cause of man's sin and disobedience. And the Message Bible very clearly says, you know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma in the first place. First sin, then death, and no one exempt from either sin or death. Because of our sin... We die. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 4. The Bible puts it like this. Every soul, man, woman, child, belongs to me, comma, parents and child alike. You die 
for your own sin and not another's. Very powerful. I understand that the curse is of Adam and we die because of that. But you will die because of your own sin. And nobody escapes that fact that you are going to die. Amen. As Adam, we all died and we are born into sin, says the Bible. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not even one. Amen. Ezekiel 18.4 in the King James says, The soul who sins is the one who will die. Death was not God's plan from the beginning, and nor was sickness, disease, pain, or infection. These things came from uh, the devil and from man's sin, which brought that into the world. Does that make sense to you today? Amen. I'm glad. Amen. I got all those amens there at home. Amen. Let's talk secondly uh, about that his death defeats death, which is basically the title of our sermon. We're saying that Easter was the death of death. So, well, pastor, then why don't you prove that? Well, I'm going to try my very best. The cross wasn't, was, hasn't been abolished uh, uh, to the, that day. Biological death is a reality. People still physically die. Uh, But the cross has redefined death. In Jesus, we can understand death to a greater degree. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 through 22 says, There is a nice symmetry in this. Death initially came by a man, and resurrection from the death came by man. Everybody dies in Adam. Okay, there it is right there. Everybody comes alive in Christ. But we have to wait our turn. Christ is first and then those with him at his coming. I want you to realize that this has been the testimony of Christians since the beginning of time. I'm working on a sermon right now. I've read some articles about the two other epidemics that took place, pandemics that took place. One, I think it was around 136 A.D. after Christ, and one at about 251 A.D. after Christ. And it was the way that the Christians responded to that pandemic that caused many people to be added to the Lord. One of the ways that there were people added and the church grew was because many people survived the pandemic because they were wise. And that's a word to all of you, that the Christian community actually increased because they were wise during the pandemic. But they did risk their lives going in and taking care of people who were sick, but God protected them. Can you say amen? That's what my God will do. Amen. Doesn't mean you don't need to be careful, but you need to also have a heart that for those that are struggling. Don't be so afraid to go deliver some groceries to your elderly neighbors. Don't be so afraid to do something kind uh, uh, for your uh, family that you desperately, that desperately need your help at this hour. Christians have always thrived in times of pandemic and they're going to do it in this situation as well. Can everyone say amen? Let me get back to my point. His death defeats all death, if you will. A, uh, his death was different. His death defeats death. The cross hasn't abolished biological death. People still physically die, but the cross has redefined it. Man was created to have eternal life. In Jesus, we have an understanding of death. Paul was not morbid, and yet he had an ecstasy when he anticipated death. Uh, He even tells Timothy in the text, in 1st, 2nd Timothy, he says, I'm now ready to be offered up. 
This is not a morbidity. This is not him being strange. It's not him being suicidal. But there is an, a, an embracing saying, I would rather be with Christ, but for your sakes, I will stay down here. But he, he understood something, that Jesus Christ's death overcame death, and that's what he really owned personally, and I want each and every one of you at home to own it as well. Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says, As long as I'm alive in this body, there is good work for me to do. If I had to choose right now, I'd hardly know which I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. This is not a morbid, a morbid spirit. This is an attitude saying, I would rather be with Christ. And he says, sometimes, i got to be honest with you, I can't think of anything better. It almost sounds like he wants to leave this earth immediately, but he realizes, for your sakes, I'm going to stick around so that I can continue to minister the word. Paul said he only began to live after he died. Galatians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am going to go back on, or I'm not going to go back on that. He is saying to, uh, in the very beginning of that scripture, he is saying, I have been crucified with Christ. And so the Christ, the, the Christ death, if you will, dying to yourself has made him alive and has overcome death, hell, and the grave. Amen. This is the power of a born again Christian. I've said this throughout this entire time. I want every Christian to understand that there are certain benefits to different belief systems. And one of the belief systems in a born-again, spirit-filled Christian is to be absent from the body, is to be present with Christ. And then it says, oh, death, where is thy sting? Okay, and it literally is such, it's an astounding statement in the, in the Bible because it's saying that literally the death, uh, the sting of death has been taken out of the equation for the true child of God that is confident of their relationship with God. And I will say this, I think that there are many people out there listening today that you are not sure of your salvation and that's why you are so uh, at, at unease and your anxiety is greatly increasing in this time and this hour. This is a time for you to claim your Christian beliefs and to know what you believe and to live what you believe in this hour of uh, pandemic in our society today. It says in the King James, for me, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. What shall I choose? For I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He is saying living in Christ is wonderful, but dying in Christ is magnificent. This is the overcoming of the cross, the outcome of the cross of what Jesus did, his death, his resurrection, overcoming the death of you and I on this earth. And this is why this, this fear of death has been taken from the true child of God, but only for the true child of God let me make that very, very clear. Paul said he only began to live after he died. 
Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. He said life in its abundance had only come to him when he put to death his own will and his own self-righteousness. The Message Bible says, I've gotten rid of my ego. I don't care anymore, amen, about what other men's opinion of. All I care is of what God's opinion is of my life. Again, that can also be very cheeky. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Uh, only God judges me. I've seen you know people with big uh, tattoos on their chest. Only God judges me. It's a very arrogant, ungodly spirit that's out there that says that. But there is a reality to what that is saying. And that is that I'm going to stand before God and I need to be more concerned about what God thinks about me than my fellow man. Can you say amen? Does everybody understand what I'm saying out there? I pray to God that you understand. The clarity that I'm trying to bring here is that it's not an arrogant spirit that says only God judges me, but is a spirit that says I really need to work on my relationship with God because I've been trying to impress man for years and years and years and to convince them that I am a spiritual being even though we may not be who we say we are. Out of this struggle... Between Paul came both a crucifixion and a life that would never know death. A life that was immune to death. Not death physically, but the sting of death. And that's what I want to talk to you lastly about this morning. Focusing on life and not death. Even before the cross, there was death. As God's people, our focus is on life and life more abundantly as the Bible describes it. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. And he wants us to focus on life and not focus on death as many people are doing today. The doctrine of the cross is not that there is uh, no death, but there is life after death. That was even before the cross there was death, but today we have life after death. It says that there is life instead of death, change from life to death. Many today, the unsaved are literally the walking dead. It's become a real big thing in our society uh, with a entertainment systems and all of this where there's the walking dead and TV shows. and all. But like literally, uh, spiritually, the unsaved are the walking dead. So I can see their obsession uh, over this uh, group of people, uh, you know, all sorts of unsavory things that these walking dead do. The unsaved today are literally the walking dead. And they seem to know it with their obsession with it in entertainment. Jesus said in John 12, verses 24 and 25, Listen carefully. Unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is destroys that life. Did you hear that? Anyone who holds on to this life just as it is destroys even that current life. That's when you obsess over yourself and it's all about you and you don't care about God. You literally, because you're obsessing over this life, you, you destroy that life uh, as well. But it says, but if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal. Notice it says, anyone who holds on to this life 
just as it is, destroys that life. People are literally destroying their lives because they won't focus on the life to come. At this point in, in our society and what's happened with this pandemic, I really feel for people who haven't invested anything in the banks of heaven. They have no confidence with God, they, and it's what is causing the anxieties. I mentioned the other, day, the other day, pandemic dreams. I got a text from somebody that as I prayed on Wednesday night through the, uh, uh, the, the, the YouTube channel, that literally that same night she didn't have any more pandemic dreams. I'm praying that that's still the case. But literally, I feel for people who have not invested in their spiritual life, and now they're a wreck. They're moving all over the board trying to find something to bring them comfort, uh, immersing themselves in entertainment on uh, Netflix and all of these other distractions, rather than still, still, even after all of this, they still won't focus on their Christian life. Amen. It is incredibly sad to see a people who are so scatterbrained that they cannot focus on the eternal life. You know, one of the benefits of this time is that we are being put alone with God. You know, when you're talking to somebody else, you're trying to impress that person. You're trying to say something smart, you know, something funny or something interesting. Uh, when you have to talk to God, all of a sudden people go silent. And that's exactly how God could use this epidemic is to put it, you alone with God having to answer for your life. Amen. This is a sign that God, something that God could use during this season if you would allow it to be part of your life. Life always grows out of death. Jesus said that unless a grain of wheat were willing to die, it could never reproduce life. And the life of a new plant only grows out of the death of the seed. You understand? That you have to die to yourself, and then out of the seed comes the life. And you and I as Christians are supposed to be focusing on life. Amen. Don't be sitting around bad news. Amen. There's enough bad news for anybody today, and especially today. Amen. Send the gospel. The word gospel, by the way, means good news. Can you say amen? And that's what we should be pushing, is push the good news. Don't be sending all the depressing articles about this and that, and the dangers that are ahead. You know, they, they, they've, they've gone from something like over 240,000 projected deaths down to 60,000. And, but there were people sending around that 240,000 number, scaring people half to death. Amen. And even they are messed up on their numbers. And these are very highly educated people from 240 to something like 60,000. But there are people who love to promote bad news. Amen. Be a, a, an element of God. Be a useful uh, element with God and push good news that God is going to get his people through this and he's going to heal those. Many of those who are going to get COVID-19 are going to be healed and even those who can't go to the hospital for other diseases that God's going to heal them in their home so God can do all of that and so much more so let's talk lastly about this this issue of focusing or having the right focus in this time in this hour that we are living in today amen God really does want to help us through this time God's plan and God's choice God could save either his beloved son or his beloved world he could not save both. During World War II, there was a German officer who asked an old woman to please choose between one of her two sons that he would shoot as a hostage. Picture the woman trapped between her love for both her sons. Such a crisis must have ripped into the heart 
of this woman who then is being told by this German officer, you will choose which of your sons is to die. Think about God for a few moments and think about whether he loved his, this world and the people in the world, which is you and I, or he was going to sacrifice his son. He also had to make a choice. Okay, Either the world must die or Jesus must die. Amen. God's choice was Jesus. It's now true that life knows no end because of Jesus. The one who really has life can never know death. In John chapter 4, it speaks about a woman uh, by the well where he tells this woman, you will never thirst again. In John chapter 11, Lazarus is dead. And they said, get Jesus. Go get Jesus. He refused to refer to Lazarus as being dead and says that he is asleep. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die. You see, my friend that are listening, I pray to God that you understand that this is the promise for every born-again, spirit-filled Christian out there, that you don't have to die and you don't have to focus on the death angel that is moving across this nation. Amen. The resurrection is the fact that the fact that he resurrected is proof that he rose and there are three freedoms that come with that resurrection that I want to look at if you can put them on the board behind me number 1 there is freedom from despair everybody say with me despair can't hear it because there's so few of them amen mary magdalene at the tomb is in despair jesus had cast devils out of her in previous encounters Now all of her expectations have been crushed. She is now in despair. The man says, why are you weeping? She doesn't know it's Jesus. She says, they've taken his body. Tell me where they have laid it. Jesus says, Mary? All of a sudden she realizes it's Jesus. No more despair because she came in contact with Jesus. Despair, by the way, and I'm going to work on a sermon about this as well. Amen. God has just been downloading and helping me with so many different ideas, but one of them has to do with despair. What does despair mean? How does that uh, penetrate a soul? But just the fact that Mary was able to see Jesus and see that he had risen from the dead took away that despair. It's one of the freedoms that I'm speaking about here today. Number two, there's a freedom from fear. When Jesus died and was buried, the disciples were gripped with fear. Fear basically comes from insecurity. Fear depends on a collapsing foundation. On Sunday, the disciples were gathered together, possibly planning their future without Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse number 19, the Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Let me say that that's exactly what Jesus would want to say to some of you. Peace be unto you. You know, it's interesting that uh, Jesus is teaching the disciples and he's saying, when you go house to house, so I'm believing God that it's going to happen again. Because I believe it's in the Bible. When you go house to house, leave your peace there. 
Amen. And so there's, this is a real thing that people are able to bring with them, that there's a spirit of peace that comes with them. I was uh, able to come in contact with some of our precious, precious people uh, these last few days from a distance, all legal, social distancing, mask, gloves, uh, doing everything the way we're supposed to do it, right? Uh, but it was so nice to see them. And the joy that my wife and I had getting back in the car and thinking about these precious souls. I mean, it, it was like almost having church for me. And that was a very wonderful experience. I wish I could have had every one of you with me. But that was such a joy to, to see our people whole and in their right mind. Let me say this, though. People bring joy to other people's lives. Amen. And there's a freedom from fear that Jesus brings with his presence when it is upon a certain soul. So in that moment, fear went out the window and they turned the world upside down because they had seen Jesus. So despair, fear, and lastly, freedom from doubt. You see, doubt is a plague that riddles humanity today. Faith is destroyed and replaced with doubt. Thomas wanted to believe, but he couldn't. He had nagging doubts. When the other disciples told him Jesus was alive, he said, I will not believe it. And he gets very descriptive and says, no, I want to touch his side. I want to see the holes that are in his hand because he knows that Jesus had been crucified. He's a, and that's where we get the phrase, doubting Thomas. There may be some doubting Thomases out there. Man, I'm praying for you. Amen. You desperately need a revelation. Amen. Jesus is not going to do tricks for you. He's, he's shown you what, got, what could happen uh, in a country that you never thought something like that could happen. It's a wake-up call. And if you refuse to take this wake-up call, I, don't, I can't stand uh, 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 the thought of what could happen to you if you refuse to listen to this wake-up call that God is reaching out to you. But one side of Jesus, a real sighting of Jesus, and immediately your doubts will disappear. Thomas wanted to believe. He did. He really did. But he couldn't until he saw the proofs in uh, Jesus' hands and body. Jesus arose, conquered death, hell, and the grave. And that's exactly what he's still doing in our society today. Amen. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. You don't have to wait for the end. I am Right, I am right now. Resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you believe this? Someone has said, God could save either his beloved son or his beloved world. He chose his world, which includes you and I. Thank God for that today. So let me just try to remember these three this week as you are going over your thoughts today. Jesus' resurrection purchased three things for all of us. Freedom from despair, freedom from fear, freedom from doubt. Each of these must be claimed by each child of God and owned personally. Revelation chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 says, Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Speaking to Christians out there, you will not be hurt by the second death if you believe and follow Christ in this time. I want to read you a story about Billy Graham that I picked up. It's on some of the notes that I've sent out to some of you, but this is a longer version of it. I'm going to read it 
uh, and then I'm going to close our service. Billy Graham is now 95 years old, and last January, leaders in Charlotte, North Carolina, invited their favorite son for a luncheon in his honor. This was a number of years ago. Billy initially, Billy initially hesitated to accept the invitation because he struggles with Parkinson's disease. But the Charlotte leader said, we don't expect a major address. Just come and let us honor you. So he agreed. After wonderful things were said about him, Dr. Graham stepped to the rostrum, looked at the crowd, and said, I'm reminded today of Albert Einstein, the great physician, who this month has been honored by Time magazine as the man of the century. Einstein was once traveling from Princeton on a train when the, condu the conductor came down the aisle, punching the tickets of every passenger. When he came to Einstein, Einstein reached in his vest pocket. He couldn't find his ticket, so he reached in his trouser pockets. It wasn't there. He looked in his briefcase, but couldn't find it. Then he looked uh, in the seat beside him. He still couldn't find it. The conductor said, Mr. Einstein, I know who you are. We all know who you are. I'm sure you bought a ticket. Don't worry about it. Einstein nodded appreciatively. The conductor continued down the aisle, punching tickets. As he was ready to move to the next car, he turned around and saw the great physis physicist down on his hands and knees, looking under his seat for his ticket. The conductor rushed back and said, Mr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, Dr. Einstein, don't worry. I know who you are. No problem. You don't need a ticket. I'm sure you bought one. Einstein looked at him and said, young man, I am too. I know who I am. What I don't know is where I am going. Having said that, Billy Graham continued. You see the suit that I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. My children and my grandchildren are telling me I've gotten a little sovereignly in my old age. I used to be a bit more fastidious. So I went out and bought a new suit for this luncheon and one more occasion. You know what that occasion is? This is the suit in which I will be buried. But when you hear I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I not only know who I am, I also know where I am going. Jesus knows exactly where you are going. And if you have any doubts about where you are going, we need to settle that right now. This Easter 2020 is at least closer to the return of Christ than we have ever been. So the hour's late, my friend. You procrastinated enough. If it's okay, I'd like to just share a small bit of my testimony of how I got saved. My father got saved on May 14, 1978, radically born again, and gave his life to Jesus. He began to witness to his four children, uh, myself, my sister, and my two brothers. And he witnessed, and he witnessed. From 1978 till 1985, he witnessed and witnessed and witnessed to us. One Saturday morning, I uh, was on the phone with him, and he once again is telling me, Joe, if you don't get your heart right with God, you're going to go to hell. And I was, by this time, I was getting very frustrated with my father. I would put down the phone frustrated with him. Uh, but as I put down the phone that Saturday morning, God literally spoke to me. And I don't, I, you, if you know me at all, I don't say that. But I know that if it wasn't an audible voice, there was a very clear ring in my mind 
Joe, you are a procrastinator, and you will procrastinate yourself into hell. And he added this, and I will not feel sorry for you because you knew better. There are many of you who I'm praying that that message helps you this Easter. It's part of my own personal testimony. That's how I got saved. That little visitation from God provoked me to get, put in my two weeks notice notice at Albertson's Grocery Store in Petaluma, California. Uh, put in my two weeks notice, quit my, uh, my, uh, uh, my uh, college uh, classes, and pack my car and move back to Tempe, Arizona, where I gave my life to Jesus Christ on February 19, 1985. So just a small visitation from God can change your whole destiny. And especially on this precious day of Easter 2020 would be a great day for you to give your life to Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads with me for a moment as we